Welcome, Desert Isle Illusions. We are here today. Uh, I know it's the 10th anniversary of the premiere of Game of Thrones. I'm so thrilled to have Michael McElhatton here with us to talk about his new film, The Last Rite, which is out in theaters and it's available on demand. It's a great Irish road movie. Michael, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. Nice to be talking. So we're in the 10th anniversary of uh, Game of Thrones, really one of the biggest shows in the world. I- it's probably not an understatement to say it's really one of the biggest uh, shows of all time. And uh, mm-hmm. your character, Roos Bolton, is responsible for... I keep thinking about how jaw-dropping The Red Wedding was in spite of the fact that pretty much the entire world knew exactly what was coming. It's it's really one of the truly remarkable moments of television because the, book, the books, it was all built up. And yet you still, I remember sitting there watching it and my jaw is still dropped. It's kind of the power of filmmaking there. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a really brilliantly directed uh, scene, uh, episode. Um, I, 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 that's the one bit of Game of Thrones I've seen many, many times. And uh, it still chills the bomb when you watch it. Uh, so it was, uh, yeah, and, and that was the moment really I feel that the, the whole world connected in Game of Thrones, you know, it was like the internet exploded the day after um, that happened. And um, I think, uh, you know, the viewing figures went through the roof. Then. So I get a lot of crap for this within the fandom, but I mean, I have a, I have a soft spot for Roos. I think um, you, you played him uh, re- remarkably well. I thought you brought a kind of, in the books, his depiction. Uh, there's a lot of people who think he's a, a couple hundred year old skin changer, which the book, I mean, the show obviously didn't go for that angle. But yeah, he's a, he's a very different. I mean, he does obviously a lot of he has the same character arc, even though a lot of it's divided up, I believe, to Tywin Lannister as well. But yeah, he's he's not um, he's he's not described as as the character in, in the series at all. Uh, in fact, I remember like reading, you know, reading books and trying to develop this, you know, very different character, you know, because he spoke with a whisper. His his he was impossible to read uh, whether it was anger or joy on his face. Um, but a character like that couldn't survive in Game of Thrones unless they were, you know, one of the main characters. You know what I mean? You know, you you, you they had to change that character to make him more dynamic. I mean, if he was like that with Rob Star at the beginning, you'd wonder why he trusted him. Yeah, I remember so, um, in the books there's a one line where it says that he speaks so quietly so that the entire room would have to be silent just to like understand. I mean, it's a it's a it's a great that's another guy. It's a great character. I'd love to play that guy, but um, that was not the, the way uh, Dan and David wrote him. So you know, you have to play him that way. Well, I mean, one of the kind of beauty, the scene where you're uh, informing Ramsey that he's legitimate, that he's your heir, if if this was like any other context in the sense that if the audience didn't know that Ramsey was really like the arch-villain of the show and that you're also, that Roos is also pretty uh, pretty much a bad guy, it would be a really, really touching scene. And I, I'm sitting there and I'm I'm really impressed with the writing and the acting in the sense that I feel like this is a powerful father-son moment, and yet these two people, like, you want every, you want really bad things to happen to them, and you kind of can't help but kind of awe at this really touching moment between Roos and Ramsey. <laughs> you mean on, on, on the mountaintop? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, no, I mean, that's, I was really always, and me and Owen were always, I think, pushing for 
something deeper, you know, that that despite all their actions and despite the fact that they're obviously both very psychologically damaged, that there there has to be um, love there because Ruse wouldn't have let him in, in inside the castle walls had he really not had, you know, feelings of the heart for him, I think, at all. Like, he, he was far, he's far too cunning, far too clever, but he is his, his firstborn, and as, as is the duty of the heads of all the houses is to um, keeping the house going, the, the heritage, and that is num- rule number one. So, uh, yes, yeah, so anyway, we did. We, we're always trying to find the love or the connection or, or something. And I think I think that translated too to Walda. I think your fate. I was very sad when uh, you both when when Ramsey uh, betrayed you both and uh, and Winterfell. And I thought that was a pretty sad moment. I thought you know a lot of people are angry. They say Roose betrayed Rob. I mean, on the surface, that's true. But it all kind of goes back to how Rob had spent the season, especially in the books. You can point to like five or six really, really bad strategic errors that Rob Stark had made that we're going to lose them the war. I mean, the second that House Tyrell defected to House Lannister, it was essentially over. So if you're in Roose's position, you're a guy who's got to think about the next move because the war is like, the war was over, essentially. And he, yeah. you know, he, he sacrificed a little bit of his honor, but I, I, I think to... to kind of the beauty of the character is the way that there's so much nuance and depth like yeah he did a bad thing but if you were in Roos's position you can understand why he did that absolutely absolutely that, that's his modus operandi the survival and, and the winning and, and he saw this guy who he did nurture and uh, um, you know the families knew each other they weren't always always friends but yes he, he made some major major errors and uh, the powers that be the time of Lannisters and the um, uh, um, David Badger's character, the um, but you know he made enemies and and I I totally you know it's not nice but it's the world of business it's the world of politics and if you don't follow those rules you die you disappear you know uh, so yeah um, you can't admire it but but it was utterly pragmatic. You know, for the survival of the house, anything, anything, uh, nothing gets in its way. And uh, there's something quite clear about that. Yeah, because I mean, for all the talk, like, obviously, when they're battling the White Walkers and stuff, it's a very sort of straighter battle of good versus evil. But as somebody who covers politics, particularly American politics, I think that it's it's almost more helpful to look at Game of Thrones through a political lens, especially when you're dealing with the Ruses and the Tywins of the world, too. You know, they're not waking up thinking, am I a good or a bad person? They're thinking, is my family, is my house uh, doing well? And yeah, that's, I yeah. mean, I just... I... And, 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 you know, sacrifice the few to the many. And uh, all those incredibly difficult choices that, uh, you know, politicians uh, in general have to make. Uh, but we don't have to make. But, um, yeah. So before we move on, um, I just wanted to ask because uh, we had uh, uh, Adrian Wilkinson who was on Xena Warrior Princess a little uh, couple weeks ago, and her character was notorious for uh, killing a fan favorite character on that show. And I asked her, you know, do you still get crap for for that all these years later? And she said she can't go to a convention without somebody bringing it up. You have uh, committed one of the the most prominent 
uh, television betrayals, murders. You orchestrated one of the most uh, beautiful betrayals of. of... Jail. <laughs> Dude. It's jail from Dallas. <laughs> I I imagine like uh, you know do, do people still come up to you and you know Lannister send their regards and all of that. <laughs> Yeah, they do. They do. You know, it's kind of it's funny. You know, that kind of stuff that comes in waves. Really, sometimes you go out and you know nothing will happen, and then just a day, you know, ten people will come up to you and stuff like that. So, yeah, it's not. Fortunately, it's never, it's never abuse. It's never abuse. It's people are quite respectful and just big fans of the show. Well, as an actor, you 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 are supposed to kind of you know you play uh, the characters that are in front of you, and they're not you know you're not a bad guy in every movie and kind of what's refreshing for the the last ride especially for game of thrones fans because it has uh michelle huisman and uh you and you and he get a lot of on-screen time together he played uh dario naharis in uh seasons four five and six and uh mm-hmm. you know you didn't go to asos roost didn't go to asos so you didn't actually massive massive show that so many uh different actors on it uh didn't ever appear on screen together but you get a lot of yeah. moments with him and uh you you play a very uh it's it's a, it's a dynamic that I'm familiar with, and that uh, a lot of our LGBTQ listeners are familiar with. Um, so in in the last rite, uh, the film, uh, the narrative centers around a character who returns home from uh, New York to Ireland uh, to handle the death of his mother, and he befriends a, a man on uh, a flight who's going to the uh, death of his brother, but actually then dies on the flight, and that kind of sets up. Uh, it's it's a bit of a road movie. It's a bit of a. a, a film about grief and it's it's also at times very very funny so it's a lot of uh, different things at once and that's kind of what makes the film special but uh your character is in this position of uh the the partner of the uh, deceased and it's kind of an awkward position because you know you're not in a pos- position of like legal rights you're not um you're not uh, daniel's father your character frank and yet you you kind of you bring such an understated uh uh understanding of just the, grief has this tend has this way of bringing people who would never be in the same room together, and you were able to kind of be this force of levity in it, and I thought it was very powerful. No, oh, thank you very much. Very much. Um, yes, well, he is he's a solicitor, but he dies in the place called a lawyer. So he's um, a solicitor, and he's a country solicitor, and a country solicitor is probably the most sensible job you can have, right? You know what I mean? It's it's, it's a very respectful respectable job, it's well paid, and you know, if you're a, if you would be a very respected member of the community. Um, you know, in a city or a, a particularly in a small Irish town which you which you live in. Um yeah, look it was a nice it was a nice um cameo in this film and this guy was a very warm guy, yeah, thrust into this very, very awkward position of being kind of a, a father uh, to the brother of the main character that he has, you know, learning difficulties and um, the lead character. And, and yes, being thrust into this incredibly awkward position, but he's a very quiet, gentle man and he just wants the best uh, for all concerned and to follow the wishes of uh, his deceased uh, lover. And I- when I was, um, I, I've always been kind of fascinated by road movies. I took an Irish film class at uh, when I was in uh, undergraduate at university at Boston College, and when, when I was also there, I did a semester abroad in Australia, and they, I just got pepper. It was, uh, I took a class on, uh, on literally the road, like road, stu- sort of the Kerouac on the road, uh, road movies, mm-hmm. Easy Rider, that kind of stuff, 
and they were fascinated by uh, America, just, you know, other countries like Australia, it's hard to drive across the country because you have to plan all your uh, petrol stops and all of that. And for, for Ireland, they the in the film The Last Right, they drive across the, the country, and they're planning to do it in a day. And the, the film is kind of like a love letter to Ireland in a lot of ways. And I yep. thought that was very sort of beautiful about how you get to go. It's, it's something that in, in these, these pandemic times, you, you look at people just kind of driving across the country at complete strangers. And for some people, that'd be very dreadful. But um, there's almost this kind of envy. We've all been cooped up for so long to see all these beautiful landscapes. It's like a beautiful love letter to your country. Ah, that's lovely. Yeah, yeah. Yes, I do. I get, well, I get envious watching uh, busy streets with people walking down them all closely leisurely chatting away with no stress in their lives that, that's the thing i miss <laughs> um but yeah no it's beautifully shot isn't it it's, it's, it's uh and we did they did film the like uh and breath of the country so you get to see uh a lot of the terrain yeah. and i like i thought the script you know the it, it plays up the comedy in a lot of spots but uh particularly in uh frank scenes with daniel you could almost imagine, like, that uh, your interactions could sort of be- easily become, like, a quick, uh, like, become a shouting match. The tensions are very high. And yet the script, like, I thought it was a very uh, restrained, mature. It was, it was le- letting, letting you, as, as actors, uh, interact in a way that I, I think anybody who's been in that kind of position can understand. And to just allow, it was, like, the, the, the sort of matter-of-factness that you uh, brought to the character... I thought, you know, this is for a film that, that's kind of funny. Uh, there's, there's almost like there's a police chase over, uh, you know, the recovery of a of a uh, uh, corpse, and there's uh, some, yeah. you know, Northern Ireland, Ireland uh, politics that uh, would probably be a little confusing to outside audiences who aren't as familiar with uh, all of. Uh, the, of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And and like as funny as that 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 parts are. It has an ability to kind of just say, "Okay, this is this is this is what we've got to do." You know, when when death happens, we have to move forward and that kind of stuff. And uh, yeah, the the whole idea of found family and I, I just I, you know, your your role in it is 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 small, but it it, it was very important in kind of uh, anchoring the you know they've they've got an adventure, but then there's the the reason that they're there to have the adventure and all of that. And it, it's one of those rare films that takes place over the course of uh, just an hour and 45 minutes over the course of a weekend. And you feel like you have an yeah. understanding of who these people are. Well, that's great. Well, listen, that's, that's probably the best compliment you could give us, that you get that sense, because I think that one of the hardest things is, is to get an audience to identify and sympathize with your characters, really. That's, in any art, that's what you, you, you want them to do. So um, if you felt that, that's, that's wonderful. That's nice. Do you, are you, do you find yourself kind of more drawn to... Um, those those kinds of roles, or or do you really like to be like the arch villain? <laughs> it's a, look, you know, it's a, I do get a lot of villains, and it's uh, and vampire and all that. Some are brilliantly written and they're a joy to do. Others that are badly written are it's torture, you know. So <laughs> it's um, it's not really either, um, but it's nice to it's nice to try as many different things as you as you possibly can, you know. And try to be to be or get people tasked to view you in a different light. That's probably you know a problem most actors um, end up going through. But I'm all right. I mean, I'm going back to finish off uh, 
series called Wheel of Time, which is a oh, yes. Amazon, uh, series on the Robert Jordan book. And uh, in that, I play an incredibly nice father, incredibly nice father. So uh, <laughs> I'm pleased about that, you know, it's a good contrast to, to, to the other one. Uh, somebody who's covered fantasy for a very long time, I know that the Wheel of Time is something that people have just spent decades on, especially when Game of Thrones started. People were saying, okay, let's do Wheel of Time now. It's Because yeah. Robert Jordan, the original Game of Thrones, the original uh, hardcover copy of a Game of Thrones had a quote from Robert Jordan saying, like, this this is a really great book. It was, And, and now kind of the tables have turned, and now uh, the success of Game of Thrones is allowing something like that to be made, and it's long overdue. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, they, they have been trying to make it for a very, very long time, and it just was not uh, in fashion. You know, it wasn't in fashion, and then Game of Thrones made it in fashion um, and spawned a load of, you know, similar tone shows. So, um, yeah, I'm very excited about it. The scripts were amazing, and uh, it's been, been a long time trying to finish it. So I go back to Prague in, in, in a couple of weeks to, to work on some more. And uh, hopefully they'll get it finished very soon. So I know um, a lot of listeners, we cover a lot of superhero stuff as well. Uh, a lot of people would have just seen you uh, in, in Zack Snyder's Justice League, which was uh, just released on HBO Max. Uh, obviously, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of that would have you would have filmed uh, years and years ago because you were also in the, the when it came out in 2017. Yes, I, I, all my stuff. Well, I, I mean, he did reshoot um, stuff, didn't he? He did, he did reshoot a lot of footage. But uh, no, my stuff was shot. Five years ago, I think. Yeah. Do you have any uh, thoughts on on just the? It, it's a very historic film in the the sense that we have one cut that is released in 2017 uh, by a different director because of uh, terrible uh, extenuating circumstances, and then mm-hmm. years later he gets to come back and assemble his film made entirely of his own footage, Zack Snyder. And uh, I really liked, I thought the finished product was a vast improvement over the, the 2017 film. That... Oh, good. I haven't, I haven't seen it. So that's good to hear. That's good to hear. Um, yeah. Um, what was your, I mean, do you think that's a good idea? Is that what you mean? Uh, well, being allowed to visit your. So I've heard a lot of really ridiculous. There are Game of Thrones fans who want season eight to be remade, and it's just—it's kind of like, like what the, what the, for what reason? Like the, it won an Emmy. It's not gonna happen. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's like why, why would you do? Yeah. So I mean, it, it's in a lot of ways, you know, you could look at that and say this is a Pandora's box, and then in other ways, you can take the more rational approach of. You know the, the 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 situations of Zack Snyder and his family. That that's not something that's going to happen very often. And uh, you should yeah, leave. they're totally totally different different situations. You know, uh, but in the end, you know, you know, good for Zack Snyder. And and uh, you know, he did he did end up uh, producing the thing he wanted to do. You know, years later, and, and uh, by all accounts, it's got it's a much better product. Uh, so he's lucky. I mean, there's many a director I'm sure who would like to go back and revisit a, a work that didn't get so favorably reviewed or something like that, or was a box office disaster. Go back and recut it, or you know, studios that destroyed movies uh, by great directors. Well, um, 
I mean, I hear uh, all the time about uh, some films turn out differently because on a certain day they were supposed to be there and it rained constantly, and then they had to, you know, reshoot. And uh, you know, that's that's how film films are very giant things with many moving pieces, and there's a lot of stuff that's out of your control. So I mean, yeah, where does it end? <laughs> where does it end? Well, it kind of ends in the editor room, actually. That's when it does end. So I think um, you know, if if um, if, if many directors are going back to the Dark Ocean Wells, they would have been a second feature with Taken from them. Fox out of disaster. But, you know, only to the day we cut it and did, did what they wanted to do with it. So, um, yeah, if you could turn back the clock and go back and, and, and give those guys a second chance to pour out on HBO, and so they'd, they'd jump at it. So, <laughs> Roose Bolton is, was one of the first characters on the show who... Uh, he's still alive in the books. Uh, my show has we've we've mapped out uh, what'll happen uh, in the Winds of Winter and sort of uh, you know the the battle will look very different. Stannis, Stannis Baratheon is still alive. Uh, you know, were were you upset when uh, they decided that Roose Roose's uh, he died fairly early in in his uh, season six? And were you uh, knowing knowing he's still alive in the books? Were you hoping to go a little bit longer? <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I, di I didn't ever. I think we were always looking over your shoulder if you were a member of Game of Thrones because we never knew who was going to die. And they weren't always given good looks, you know? So uh, many, many characters took the best stress that would have lived on. So you never knew. You never knew. And apparently I was meant to go at the end of season five. And then they said, no, no, you won't. So, um, but look, you understand you're a cog in the deal and that the boat in the season six had to go for the story to, to move forward. And um, no, I kind of felt it was, it was coming. So it was, uh, I mean, always had to leave it, of course, it was a joy, but you know, five seasons is not bad. <clears throat> no, that's definitely uh, it's a hell of a run. And, um, you know, I, I, I was really excited to, to have you on because I think this film. Uh, the last right is is really perfect for a lot of our audience. We do a lot of Star Trek stuff, and Colomini's in it. Uh, one of the most oh, yeah. one of the most beloved uh, Star Trek characters of them all, Miles O'Brien. He's right. and he's he's so fun. And uh, to have to have you and and Michelle uh, is it was, you know, it, it it's always as a critic to see you know I plenty of movies that I see that uh, have actors I'm familiar with, but to see you get a chance to, to show an uh, uh, audience, uh, you know, the, another side of you, a side that doesn't show up to a dinner party wearing mail and uh, ready to kill everybody. Um. Exactly. Exactly. Oh, that's, that's, that's what we're always looking for. <laughs> always trying to find the new one. Yes. Exactly. Well, Michael, it's been, yeah. um, it's been a pleasure. I could uh, talk, uh, like go on and on about Roose Bolton. I die. People always look at me. I talk about him. I have such affection for Roose Bolton. I mean, I, I love the book description. I like, you know, I like the great political masterminds. This is not a game of, you know, hugs and kisses. It's a game of, of thrones. And to see to see Roose just really excel at that the, the dirty side of business, that's, uh, you know, if, if Roose was running for uh, Congress in my district, I would probably vote for him. Because, you know. Yeah, I would say he'd have a lot of followers, yeah. 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 If Bruce was an American politician, then yeah, who would he be? There's it. There's it. Well, I I think a lot of the politicians kind of behave like uh, they're they're playing Game of Thrones, and really they're 
you know, you, you you don't you don't want a politician who makes the best tweet or you know gives the best hug. You want somebody who says, "Okay, here's what I was able to do for you," and you know, Roos has got to be able to go back to the dread fort at some point and say, "Okay," to his constituents, thousands of people, you know, this is this is how I've helped House Bolton, and uh, you know. Yeah. No. I mean, yeah. No. He's uh, he's a behind the scenes guy. He's not an up front guy. You know, Roos is the guy with the power. You know, behind the guy. And there's a reason, yeah, there's a reason that Rob, initially in the first book, which wasn't really depicted in the show, but he gives half of his horde, he gives half of his troops to Roos. Now Roos goes behind his back and sends a lot of, uh, he sends a lot of House Serwin in another house and keeps his own troops in the back so they don't get killed. But there's yeah. a lot of trust there. And, you know, if Rob was smarter, he would have known that Ned didn't like Roos. And, uh, but he didn't, and you took advantage of that. So I think that Roos uh, was the smarter one in that situation. Well, it's been a real pleasure. I, I recommend, you know, The Last Rite, especially in, in COVID times, dealing, a lot of people have had to deal with grief in, in a lot of ways that, that are not uh, terribly... Uh, f- fun you know we don't get to uh gather as as, as we do um not that grief is fun to begin with but um it, 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 we're not living in times that are uh you know normal in any sense f- for that and uh to see this movie which handles grief and you get to see all of ireland it's it's a beautiful film i i i like it yeah. a lot thank you thank you i'm, I'm really really delighted that you, you just said that yeah it's, it's a really it's an uplifting film yeah, yeah it's you know it's it's yeah. never yeah the best comedies are ones that make you uh, aren't afraid to tug on the heartstrings at times and uh, really great script, the great performances. Uh, I highly recommend people, especially our Game of Thrones fans, Star Trek fans. Also, Brian Cox is in it from Succession who, God, he's always so fun to watch. <laughs> but, amazing, amazing. Michael. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, okay. to everybody listening, thank you and we'll see you next time. 